Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Pot Trickland. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, in this episode 260. I'm joined uh, by my well-rested co-host who has enjoyed the holidays. And he's back, back with a vengeance. Prez, that is at underscore Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are you doing? I'm good. Enjoying using all my Strickland PTO and bailing on the podcast every other week. It's good. The holidays are a time to be enjoyed with family and not by being miserable about the Knicks. So um, that's good to know. That's good to know that you got your time off and you enjoyed it. Uh, I do not have time off, but we're not going to talk about that. What we're going to talk about is the announcements I have to make. The first being that the Strickland has an Instagram. So give that a follow. Check that out. That is at the Strick.land on Instagram. We also have a YouTube page where. You may or may not be watching this. If you are watching it, please hit the like button and then subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. That would be a big help for us to get to 1,000 followers. We also have a Patreon, which I'm sure you know about. Uh, you can subscribe to it. There are a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pot Strickland, this pod that I host every single Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. And you get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Drew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, and back from his labor-fighting hiatus, Dallas Amico, uh, is also his co-host. So that's what you get with the $6 tier. There is a $9 tier. That gets you access to Strick and Roll, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business, there are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $15 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, this will be possible without you. Um, so without further ado, let's get started. Uh, I, I don't know. We can start wherever. The Knicks have won three in a row. I did not love yesterday's game. I also am sympathetic to the idea that sometimes they're going to play annoying basketball games over the course of an 82 game regular season. And it, they got it out was there. so evident after like the first five minutes that they were just like, can we just molly these guys that go home? And the Spurs were like, we're going to lose, but we're going to annoy the fuck out of we're you. We're going to try really hard and we're not going to stop trying. Uh, Keldon Johnson's super annoying. Um, oh my god, his fucking slingshot like moon balls that when they go in, they like go off the screen and drop back down like directly up from the hoop. And then Jeremy Sohan, who's basically like the fucking Sith underling of Marcus Smart, just being fucking annoying for like 80 feet, except he's like half a foot taller, which somehow makes it worse. He's totally gonna be like I get it now. Like I, when I was doing draft writing on him, 
Um, sometimes I would Twitter search. Like my timeline was was mostly like, oh, what an intriguing toolsy defender, and like, oh, he's from Europe, and uh, what an interesting player. And then I would Twitter search him, and it was all college hoop fans who had played against him. Who were just like, oh, what a fucking dirty shithead player. This guy's the worst. Oh my god. Like, what an evil human being. And I was like, god damn. Like, is he really that bad? But now seeing him, like, this guy was shiving every single Knicks player and getting away with it. He He's definitely going to be one of those annoying to play against, dope to play with guys for like 15 years. Yeah, if he can score. Um, yeah, if he can score. <laughs> he, yeah, he, he was, he's annoying. He also had a he got the dumbest illustration on Julius. I like Julius made. We'll talk about Julius. He, I, I, you know, I, you know. I'll just say this. This is what I, 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 again. I'm very happy the Knicks won the game. I'm not unhappy the Knicks won the game. You know, I'm not. I'm the any thoughts of Victor Wembanyama in a Knicks jersey have you know they, they have they dissipated weeks ago. They dissipated before the season even started. If we're being real, um, but like I saw a lot of Julius. Like awesome effort, even though he didn't shoot well. Oh, look at he had four blocks, he had three steals. I saw a lot of like, oh my god, we would never have won this game if not for Jalen Brunson. Thank you, our Lord and Savior, for for winning this basketball game for us. And I just got to say, I reject both of those things entirely. And the first one is not related to anybody other than Julius. I didn't think Julius played a good game at all. I don't think he played a good game. I think he played. Look, offensively, sometimes you miss shots. I didn't really have a big problem with his offense yesterday. Sometimes you miss shots. His end game stuff continues to be like w- why we continue to put him in situations like end game isolations is a little bit beyond me. But um, okay, fine. Like I can live with the offense. He's been on a heater for like what feels like a month and a half. Like I'm, you're a lot of a bad shooting game. I don't care about that. I thought his defense yesterday was terrible. Like it was really bad. He got back cut. He got back cut very early in the game by Keldon Johnson, and it's like, okay, one, if you're gonna have Julius play, like if he's gonna be defending, literally their best scorer, their like the, their one scorer who occasionally goes off. Can, can you like? Can it be a good Julius night? Can it be like a night where he's locked in? He's not locked in. So, like, I'm watching that. I'm like. Can Tibbs just put like Grimes on him and he can guard Sohan? Because Sohan's literally not doing anything. Like, if Julius wants to do nothing on defense, I'm cool with that. Just put him on Jeremy Sohan. Like, I don't need him on Keldon Johnson. Who, by the way, plays Julius Randle's position. So, this isn't some weird, like, us asking for some galaxy brain cross match here. <laughs> yeah, no, and he guarded him. He guarded Sohan. In uh, when we played them last week, you know, you know what's especially funny about that. Now that I think about it, like you know how often we ask, like, oh my god, engage Julius by making him work on ball, right? Like cross match him, and this is how you knew it was one of those nights. Like to Tibbs' credit, he's probably like, oh, maybe one way I could get Julius engaged is get him on Keldon, their their on ball guy, and Julius was just like. Nah, I'm gonna like we'll be fine. Right. Like that's basically his attitude, and and it it almost shows like this isn't to like the blocks he had. Several of them were were really impressive athletically. Well, and, the one, and, the one, the chase down he had was 
great. Oh my that god! Was like like a great, my jaw, that was a great like, my jaw, jaw. I was like, I didn't know he could still do that. Not that he's like some old guy or anything, but I was like, damn, I thought that was like only Lakers Julius or whatever. But it, you could like that's that's kind of an example of one of the like Julius is best when his objective is clear and he has decided I will do the thing, and there's not multiple competing factors and a chase down. It's a perfect example of that. Right? There's no he like lost the ball. He lost the ball on that play. That's the yeah, thing. yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Which is also like very on brand. It's like ah fuck. I will make up for it with this targeted act of redemption. Like it's very simple, and he just puts his mind to it and he does it. And it's all the other shit that's like, well, I got to watch my man. I got to watch the D kids. This is the Spain pick and roll, or what is who's Mitch? Are we switching ice? But like that's the shit that he's and and versus a team that sucks. Like you could tell he was just like, nah, whatever. Yeah, and it's and it's the most annoying thing because like the Spurs are a team that no matter how much they suck, they're gonna run like seven thousand things on every play. They're gonna run like three sets, and they're gonna make you do all this shit, or they're at least gonna try to do a bunch of shit. So you've got to, like, give the token effort and just be aware of stuff. And Julius was just not with it last night. Yeah. Um, and, like, I'm not even, you know, again, like, it, that it, happens. Like, yeah, that it, happens in an 82-game season where you're one of the highest usage guys in the team and you're playing a shitty basketball team. Like, that if happens. I'm, if I'm it's reading so you, it's less about, less about Julius and more about just, like, the narrative that kind of followed it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I don't care. Like, I don't. He doesn't need flowers for that game. Like, he he didn't do anything in that game. He was. I mean, what did he have? He had twenty five points on like twenty six shots or twenty seven shots or something. I think it was. Um, I think he got a lot of love because. Yeah, I mean, you know how people are. It's like, look, he made, he made he stepped up. It's at the memorable, very end of the game. exactly. It's memorable stuff. It's like, oh, chase down block and oh, buckets at the end of the game in isolation. Like, yeah, I mean, he, he he stepped up defensively at the end of the game. Yeah. When we absolutely needed him and other guys to step up, yeah, yeah. But they like, all stepped up in the last yeah. couple of minutes. But, but but like, I I think I thought he was a really I, I thought that was like probably his first actual bad game in God knows how long. Um, so like not killing him for it. I don't. That's fine. Yeah, You're right. Like if game. that if that's his bad game, then like we're in a pretty good spot, right? Like right. you know, yeah. Like it's a that, lot like, better than his bad games last year. <laughs> yeah, if that's his bad game, like, okay, Actually, fine. better than his good games last year. <laughs> he had a bad game. It happens. I'm not going to spend much time discussing it because it's just not that interesting to me. But, like, I, I like the, the hero, Julius, way to step up on a bad shooting night, like, found ways to contribute. It's like, it's like yeah, dude, he found a way to contribute really at, like, the very end of the game. Because, like, like, two of the blocks, like, were just, like, he's under the rim. And he's just waiting there for Keldon. Like that's like one. Like he had a, he had one really good steal. He had he did have one really really good steal where he like read the play. And that but that was also I think in the fourth quarter, which to the point was like by the fourth quarter it was cl- a close game, and they kind of had to like buckle down. So he locked in. He was really good at the, in the, in in like basically like the last five six seven minutes whatever. Um, but like overall I. I'm not kidding. He can have flowers for like the last month. I'm not giving flowers for for yesterday. Uh, and then the Brunson thing is like, look, Brunson was awesome scoring the ball, like fucking awesome scoring the ball yesterday. Nobody on the Spurs could check him. Nobody could stay in front of him. He got to his spots whenever he wanted to get to his spots. He he was awesome yesterday offensively. This is not like a well, actually, even though he scored 38 points, like uh, he didn't actually do it well. No, he he scored the ball. Ethical really buckets. Yeah, no ethical fucking buckets. ten free throws. No. Sp- 
no, oh, I scored a bunch of points because I went five for 18 from three, which is great for my true shooting percentage yeah. or whatever. No, this is fucking pure, uncut, unstepped on, raw buckets. If Jalen Brunson was born, I don't know when the fuck he was born, but if he was born like 12 years earlier, this guy would be a first bat. Can you imagine if this guy played in like 2004 in like Tony uh, Parker time? It'd be incredible. Yeah, he'd be, he'd be unstoppable. I mean, he kind of is unstoppable right now. I mean, just, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, that's we'll fair. see. We'll see. Tor- It'll be fun. They play Toronto tomorrow. That was like one of his worst games this season. I uh, thought he struggled with the length, but he's like, I mean, look, he's struggled with length before in his career and then found ways around it. So I'm just, yeah. I, I want to see that. I want to see that matchup. Um, yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. But, but like to go back to it, like, look, he, he had a great scoring game. There's no denying it. But from the start of the game, literally from the start of the game, and I've been talking about this now for like two weeks, so this is not like some one-off thing where like it's like, oh, you're just going, no. This ISO shit is like so crazy, and it's not, like, yes, Brunson is an ISO-heavy player. Randall, to a degree, is going to be an ISO-heavy player. Like, yes, naturally your team will skew to those possessions to some extent. But like... Just because you have that tool doesn't mean you should right. no, overly and, and, rely on it. Yeah, yeah. And and That's this is this is the point. Like like it's fine. It's all well and good. You beat the Spurs yesterday, you scored 117 points. Dandy. Okay. Yes, the Knicks have a top ten offense. They have found a way to make this team that is not shooting particularly great from three um still an efficient scoring I don't want to say machine, but uh functioning, you know, assembly line. Um but like you can strive for more, and you have more at your disposal. And like, like I'm sorry, you can't. Wa- I I don't watch that game yesterday and think, man, if not for Brunson taking 27 shots and Julius taking 25 shots, or the fuck he took, there is nobody else that could have taken even a two or three or four more shots on their own, and we would have been okay. I I reject that. I reject that. We had a guy on the team, on the team, who last week. Last week, put up 37 or 36, 7 and 7 on this very Spurs team. Yesterday, he had 15 points on 13 shots. He had eight rebounds. He had five assists in 46 minutes. Like, you, he can do more. Emmanuel quickly can do more than just like run point when Brunson's not on the floor and attack second side action sometimes. Like, he is capable of doing more. And I'm not asking him to be like, even an equal partner handling the ball when Brunson's on the floor. But there should be possessions. There should be sequences. There should be flow into the offense where he is allowed to just go. And I don't think that happened yesterday. You know, I I don't think that opportunity existed. And forget him, okay? Like, you know, if you want to say quickly he's got to take more shots when Brunson's off the floor and he's fine. You know, I don't want to get into that. You could say that. Guess how many minutes, guess how many shots Quentin Grimes had yesterday? I don't even remember. Was it like eight? Eight shots. He went five of eight for 14 points in 38 minutes, I believe, if I remember correctly. One thing I was... uh, You can do more. You can run plays for him. That's the thing. And I know know for sure. I know this as a fact. I know this as a fact because I've seen it with my own two eyes. I know Tibbs has plays for guys like fucking Grimes. I know that. I know it because we saw it last year with Evan Fournier. And obviously, I don't think Grimes is the level of movement shooter he is. But you know what? 
I think that Grimes can take those type of actions and attack them in different ways. But he is getting downhill and not just scoring at the rim efficiently, but making plays for others at the rim efficiently. Like, Bro, if 90-year-old Greg Popovich can draw plays for Nick Legend, Doug McDermott, then, like, we can draw two plays a game for Quentin Grimes. Right. That's all I'm asking. It doesn't need – you don't need to up these guys' usage to, like, like oh, no, no, we got to have, like, five twenty usage guys. No. Like, all you really need – all you're talking about here – no joke. This is basically – it's, like, two more field goal attempts for both of them a game. And – I, and that just, stuff goes so far, and this is the frustrating thing about Tibbs. Like a, a, a lot of people uh, seem to think that asking this sort of stuff and taking away some touches from our big guns is like very sacrilegious or something. But the payoff for that is, like, say you have Grimes, you call plays twice a game, once every half for Grimes to you know, come off of some decoy action and then come screaming around the pick and, you know, Kyle Corver style, get a shot up. Like, he's going to command that respect. He's that level of player. You see it, the attention he gets on defense Look when he's standing still. the we had to give Josh Richardson last yesterday. Or Doug McDermott. Yeah. And, like, like it, it's, it's very hard when you have players who are, like, even Doug, like, he's athletic. He, he you know, in a lot of ways, this is going to be weird, but, like, they, they're actually similar in a lot of ways in terms of... Oh, yeah. Their athleticism. Uh, Doug is a little people, bigger. People just want to say Doug isn't athletic because he's white. Let's be real. Like, he's athletic. Doug, he's Doug, been athletic. Doug been catching. He's like Jeff Green. Like those guys will catch like two monster posters per year until they retire. Uh, Jeff Green might be like even more like insane. Like he he catches like ten. Anyway, shout out Jeff Green. But like my point is, what I was gonna say is like, say you run one or two or three of those a game where they actually get the ball. You know what that lets you do? All of a sudden now, you can run Grimes off of screens and not give him the ball. You yeah. can do that 10 times and not give him the ball. Well, and guess what? Can, the defense know, is still going to be worried about it because of those two times he got the ball. It's, it's great well, to have him in the corner, but like the payoff lasts the whole game. And this is the sort of thing that there's a group of people on the internet who think that like this is like like some complex... The, like championship, like no, you like you need, need a team run. with Hall of Famers and five years of continuity. Like no, you. This is simple. Teams that have little turnover. The the Pacers do this shit, and they just showed up you and met each other for the first time like stuff. two months ago. You don't you need don't. to run complex stuff. You don't need yeah. to run complex stuff. Yeah. You need to run some basic actions. Like mm-hmm. you don't need to run a whole. Ninety separate... percent of the league does this. Yeah, you don't Young need to or run a whole old, separate thing right. for Quentin Grimes. You need to run like two or three. Different actions that if the magic can Tim's do this has, shit for Tim's Terrence Ross, bro. In, like <laughs> Tim's has him in his playbook. He has yeah. the shit. I've seen him do it. I've seen him run this stuff for Evan Fournier. He ran shit like this for Kyle Corber when he had Kyle Corber back in fucking Chicago. You can go look it up on YouTube if you want. It's not like it's out there. Like it, he has shit like this in his playbook that he's run before. So it's not that it's not there. It's that he just right now he's in this mode of like he trusts Brunson, he trusts Randall. He trusts RJ when RJ's there. And if need be, if two of those guys are down, he will trust Emmanuel quickly. But, like, that's about it. Like, he's not – he doesn't trust and he doesn't feel that there's a benefit. That, that has to be the way he's looking at it, that there isn't a benefit to giving more usage to some of these complementary rising young players that you're not just rostering, but you're also now playing in the rotation consistently – high minutes 
And like, that's the part of it that I just don't agree with. And I don't agree with it because not only does it help, like you can run that, like a fucking, you know, you can run some floppy shit, right? Effectively as like a decoy at the end of a game. If you do that in the beginning of a game, to just get Julius the ISO that you want from him anyway without telegraphing it. Like, it's it's stuff like that where it's like, even if your end goal is, I want to give the ball to Julius at the elbow, okay, run some bullshit DHO actions as part of the, your normal offense a couple times a game. I promise you, if you do that, that will make life easier for Julius to do his ISO thing at the end of a ball game. Like, that's all it is. It's not about... Oh, I want Quentin Grimes to be like taking the amount of shots that Julius is or Jalen is. No, absolutely not. I 100% do not want that. And I don't think they need that right now. I don't think Quentin Grimes would be best served doing that right now. I just want Quentin Grimes to get some opportunities on the ball. Like, I was looking at the numbers today. Do you know how many pick and rolls Quentin Grimes has run this year? <laughs> is it zero? Ten. He's run ten. And I would so the venture... same number of uh, of role man plays that Ovi has. Right. Yeah, I, and I would venture to guess. I would venture to guess that most of that is just like Garbage a lot game. of it's probably the Dallas game and the San Antonio game and the Houston game where we just had quickly and Julius. Right, like there were no other options. And like again, I don't think Grimes is ready to be a high level pick and roll ball handler. All it it just if you look at the numbers, like. I think Brunson has run 313 pick and rolls and then quickly has run 157. And then it's like, you know, RJ basically is the only other guy at a decent volume who matters. Like, And it's stupid because all of these other guys are pretty good catch and shoot guys. Yeah. Br- Brunson's awesome. He's awesome at catch and shoot. And like, this is, my, yeah, this is the other part is like, it's not about even getting like a click quickly is the best example of this because I think like you, if you watch, if you go back, I don't, I don't know why, maybe you want to, you go back and watch the Dallas game, like the forties, the first 47 minutes, 30 seconds. Um, but like actually just the first three quarters, what you'll see is look uh, like, I, I don't like the entire weird conversation. It's like, Oh, thank God we signed Brunson because if we didn't sign Brunson. Like quickly, clearly couldn't be the point guard. Like, are we, am I happy we signed Brunson? Absolutely. Like he definitely makes the team better. He provides a dimension we didn't have, blah, 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 blah. There's no question about it, right? But, like, you watch a game like that San Antonio game, and I think all it is is if you empower quickly a bit more than, than Tibbs has, just and, – and not and please just forget just empowering him. Like, just never play him with Hartenstein and Sims. As soon as Obi comes back, I really hope we just don't see that very often or ever, maybe. But, like, but like you watch that Dallas game – in, in most of those minutes, right, because obviously he just played quickly, Deuce, Grimes, Randall, pick a big. Like, that was basically the lineup for most of the game. Like, because they just had multiple, like, three shooters, and then quickly is the one guy that can actually, like, dribble and play point. I mean, Julius can dribble and, like, do Julius stuff, but that's different. But, like, they were sprinting the ball up the floor, quickly sprinting the ball up the floor, and he's getting into the paint and he's spraying out the shooters. He's spraying out the shooters. He had, like, what, 15 assists in that game? I think 14 of them came in the first three quarters. I would bet that most of those were threes. But, like, the my point is, like, if you... So, if he's playing with Brunson, which he is right now, like, you know what Brunson's awesome at, what he's been awesome at his entire career, is catch-and-shoot threes. He's been great at that his entire career. I think he... I then quickly downed him up yesterday on one from the corner. Like, like, this is a way where you give Brunson a, like Brunson is carrying a load right now, right? And we saw that he got he hurt he hurt himself in the Dallas game. I mean, I don't know how much 
that was influenced by by the minutes load, but like it obviously it it is okay for a few times a game to be like okay, even though Brunson's in, I want to run this one for quickly to get in the paint and have Brunson in the corner, and he runs a pick and pop with Julius, and Grimes can spread it out on the other side. Like it's just very basic stuff like this where it's like you're talking about a couple possessions a game. And and to be honest, like I think Tibbs can do it. Like he obviously has this stuff in his playbook. So it's not a thing where you're like like do something you've never done. It's like no no, just do things that you have done a little bit more frequently and that's it. But I am I'm not I'm not gonna lie, I am worried that when RJ comes back, we're gonna go back to uh, you know, all of the those three guys are basically tasked with running the offense and two Two of them are on the floor the vast majority of the game, at least. Um, and I, I, I wanted to go through this because I've seen a lot of people that are like, oh, clearly, you know, you see the minutes quickly is playing now and all these kids are playing now. Like, how can you? Like, you can't yeah, go- it's been really weird that, like, people are like, oh, like, isn't all you wanted minutes? Well, it's it's not even just that. Like, like yes, I'm, I'm actually, I'm a little bit more like, I don't want to say. I I think like to some degree, Fournier and Rose and these guys are just so fucking garbage that fine, whatever. I'll just be like, okay, fine. Uh, if if this is what you think needs to be done, fine, whatever. Um, but like, what what really is kind of annoying to me is when I see there's like pushback on. Well, see, you wanted the kids to get minutes, and now they're getting all these minutes. Like, how could you ever say that he hated the kids? And how can you say that he wasn't giving quickly enough minutes, and that he doesn't appreciate what quickly does, or? Or, you know, he's not even giving Deuce a chance. Like, look, I, I just want to go through this, okay? This is the last uh, five games before RJ got hurt, all right? Indiana, 22 minutes. Quickly doesn't shoot well that game. I actually thought he played it more than he should have, but 22 minutes. Toronto, he plays 34 minutes and 38 seconds. Why? Because Quentin Grimes is hurt. That's why. Okay, Chicago. 21 minutes and 7 seconds. Uh, Philadelphia, 21 minutes, 33 seconds. Like, he was, it's it's not, I think there's a trend, there was a trend happening, I thought it at the time, that he was, and it wasn't, it's not about quickly or 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 deuce, it's because he really, and I, I guess this is like, I don't know, how you, I already want to feel about this, it's not necessarily bad or good or, it, it, it's just a thing. I think he was like really starting to trust not just Brunson and not just Randall, but also RJ, uh, like really leaning on them. And that came at the expense of somebody like quickly and Deuce to an even more strong degree. Um, and like, that's fine. Like Deuce wasn't shooting well. He's also just not shooting a bit at all. I would like to see him get a little bit more minutes just because I think you can use him to buy these guys a little bit more time. Um, but like he, he went from, you know, he, he, he played 14 minutes against Toronto under just under 10 against Chicago and then five minutes and 35 seconds against Philly. Like I just want, like all I would, all I would say is there's enough minutes to go around here where Brunson can get like 32 and RJ can get 32 and Grimes can get 32 and quick can get like 27 and Deuce can get like 13. Like, like I don't think any of these guys need to be subjected to extended minutes loads is really all I'm saying. And I think that you have enough talent there, especially in the backcourt, with the first four guys I named, which is Brunson, RJ, Quickly, Grimes, that you can get away with that. And, like, you don't need to 
push any of them to like, oh, well, today, 40 minutes for for Brunson. Like, you don't, when, when you get RJ back, you don't need to do that shit. And he was doing, he was starting to lean in those, annoy, in those, those annoying little stretches that he often has as a coach. I think he can avoid those. He can avoid those, and he should avoid them, because I think there's a benefit to that. Uh, both in terms of like yes the player development angle, but also just keeping guys fresh and healthy. Uh, the Randall one is a little bit different, obviously with Obi out. I am a little bit more just kind of like I don't know if if Randall's out and you know Cam is dead man walking, which Cam you be anybody that's still talking about Cam like I don't know what to tell you bro. Like if you want to focus your energy on that, that's cool, but he's never playing again, not in the Knicks. So I don't <laughs> I don't know, uh, but like. Like until Obi is back, I'm I'm like I am sympathetic to just okay. Look, Randall's got to eat it for right now, right? Um, but like the 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 backcourt stuff, even I mean, man, like e- even with RJ out, it's like could you give Deuce like just two more minutes each half? Is that really gonna kill you? I don't know. I don't I don't know. I maybe maybe I'm wrong. But like the point is like please when they're healthy, please when they're healthy is just don't don't start doing that thing. Of like, oh my god! Like Grimes is healthy. Like I, they have fucking Demar Derozan. I like Dave Zach Levine. I have to get him back in the game quickly. Can't play. Like no, dude, we're seeing it now. Quickly is playing a bunch of minutes. He's playing quote unquote undersized. And guess what? He's fine. He's not the one getting torched out there. He's not the one that's giving up fucking rebounds and giving up back cuts and getting schooled defensively. No, it's not him. So like, you don't need to protect him or view these guys like you don't need to size match up like that like you have versatility with this backcourt with these guys just trust it play it and that's it that's all he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't care about i mean you know this but like it's worth saying he doesn't care about like who needs what he cares about a game plan that's decided before the game and then he does it and he doesn't deviate from it and it's one of the main reasons why like yes the knicks are doing excellently right now on the whole like their top 10 defensive See, rating that, offensive you rating that, you say that but i i like this is my thing that i never really understand about that is like like one he definitely applies that very more strongly to the first three quarters than he ever does to the fourth right but, but the other part of that is like like it just never like there's not necessarily ever a consistency to that stuff like we played the bulls three times in a week and there wasn't a real consistency to how we approach and like look every game is different so i'm not saying that needs to be the case but it's like like if you if you did feel that way that like that he has to like he like he wouldn't view that team so differently in a week you know what i mean like he would yeah yeah he would play the same so i don't i just think sometimes it's not like the minute stuff especially i don't think it's about that i think sometimes you just like gets really obsessive about certain matchups that he feels like height is so important to have on the floor and he can't avoid that. And like, it's not even, I don't know, like, is that bad? Is it good? I don't know. I just think it's weird. That's like, that's, that's where I'm at with Tibbs where it's like, I don't know how much of it, the things he does are bad or good, but they are very weird. And I don't think anybody can deny that. Like he's very weird for the average NBA coach in 2020. So, so here's what I'll say. I'm glad you brought that up because it's a great segue to a point I wanted to make, which is like he like early in the season when things were going terribly, you know, you had 
this is oversimplifying it, but you had two groups, two perspectives that dominated Knicks fans. One was we have talent and Tibbs is doing a bunch of nonsense and he's also and we're also dealing with nonsense from some of our key players, right? Julius and RJ. And then you have the other camp, which is like, what do you expect? We don't really have that much talent. This is not that kind of team where you could get what you people want out of this roster. And I want to take stock of this roster right now because a lot of those people now are like, you know, they're enjoying the good times and they're like, wow, you know, the Knicks are doing okay. We're not awful. We're, are we going to be playing? Are we going to be higher? I don't know, whatever. But like, let's like stop and take stock of the talent on this roster right now. We have Julius Randle who's playing, you know, at an all-star level, despite occasional, Julius moments that make him very special, right? He's still killing in a lot of other ways. You have Jalen Brunson, who's unquestionably playing at an all-star level. Like, the shit he did yesterday is fucking special. Like you said, he's basically unstoppable. Not once in the blue moon, but very regularly. And the main reason he doesn't score 50 points is because he doesn't take a zillion threes or draw a zillion free throws, which, whatever. If he did, then he'd be a top 10 player in the NBA with how, how skilled he is. Okay, R.J. Barrett, who started the season horrendously, and I'm pretty sure most R.J. Barrett critics right now would say, you know, he's he's getting more efficient, he's getting his legs under him, and at worst, he's a very solid wing who's a $20 million wing, and probably worth that, you know, at minimum. Okay, so two All-Stars and a $20 million player. Quentin Grimes, we just... Banked Phoenix. He's basically Mikhail Bridges right now. Like, there's not much discernible. They're both twos who can guard up, but don't quite have the size to guard fours. They're both incredible cutters, incredible shooters with shooting variety, who are incredible plus minus monsters because they do, they shoot well and they do the little things well. You know, they move, they screen, they rebound, things like that. So, two all stars, two $20 million players. You have Mitchell Robinson, who pretty much outside of all-star centers, and let's say the worst all-star center is Jared Allen, right? Like, outside of all-star, or maybe Brooke Lopez. Like, outside of all-star centers, he's pretty much as good as it gets outside of Brooke Lopez. I think that's pretty yeah, fair to say. I'm going to need him to figure out how to not play like an absolute bum against Acapurro, though. Yeah, I... The, the less we say about how the Spurs bigs baffled the Knicks bigs, the better. So, uh, but that is, that is absolutely true. Um, that Jakob Pertle hook shot from like 13 feet away, maybe it but... made me want to frisbee my computer fucking across the street. Well, I, I didn't even get pissed that, that he made that nonsensical shot. I was like, Mitch, why are you trying to block that and fouling him? Like, just. If Jakob Pertle is taking 13 foot hook shots, Just let I him want take you that, bro. done your job. You have done your job. Like you have done your job. Yeah. Stop. Oh right. my god. That was I that was like He's, I, I feel like Mitch has had a couple of like really good blocks that were actually goaltends recently. So he's just trying to like show out and just punt people right now. But okay, so two all-stars, including one of them who's you know borderline not just a bum all-star, but like a legit all-star, right? In, in Julius, if you consider just some of the really crazy numbers he's putting up. And then uh, two $20 million players, including the kind of one who gets 
fucking filleted by media all the time and macabre bridges. And then Mitchell Robinson, a pretty great sub all-star center at a young age on a great deal. And Emmanuel Quickly, who folks around the league unanimously agreed if he is available, everybody should be calling for him. And any advanced metrics reading writer acknowledges that Except Yeah, that's true. He has been eerily silent on IQ. Oh, he, um, he's, he was more than silent last year. He basically, said I mean, he's he's no Santi Aldama, right? So, right. what what can you do? Um, but no, last year, he, last year he said that if you know if fans thought that playing Emmanuel quickly more than Kemba Walker would result in any tangible difference, they were they were crazy. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, so that's um, that's the sixth guy is him, uh, and. You know, the rest of there, there's like a there's there's a drop off after that. But my point is like this is very clearly in the top six. And that's not even getting to like like Obi has been criminally misused. So like I'll put Obi aside for now, whatever, flaws and strengths. But like those six guys alone, like this is not a bum fucking roster. You're talking about a great center, two all stars, and then separately from that, two twenty million dollar players, including one of whom is a volume scorer. And has wing size, and is twenty two. So like, you can't tell me anymore that like, oh, it's these kids have a chance to win. Oh, like we're it's happy to be here. Like, no. If I told you a non Knicks team had two all stars, one of whom was a great all star and six nine two fifty, two twenty million dollar players, one of whom's a volume score, a great center, a top ten defensive rating and offensive rating, that's not a team that's just happy to be here. We don't have to just be appreciative that we're in the mix and the kids are getting better like no we're allowed to like say hey just like any other five or six seed level talent team like we're allowed we're allowed to say the coach is not doing enough with this talent this is just because the talent happens to be a bunch of 22 year olds and national media attention doesn't reflect that fact doesn't mean we have to be ignorant of that as fans like so the difference between real quick real quick the difference between us and other top five, top six seeds teams is those teams are where they're at because they have, through luck or through strategy, usually stumbled upon a top 15 player. Instead, we've done through we've done this the harder way. And because this is done the harder way, we all of a sudden have to hold our coach to a lower standard. That's nonsense to me. Nobody's fucking holding Doc Rivers to a lower standard or Pat or not Pat or Eric Spolstra to a lower standard or any of these presumptive top six teams in either conference. Well, like Atlanta is about to get. They're probably going to fire Nate McMillan at some point, right? Yeah, they're not going to make the playoffs. So, like, I'm not. And they're like, sure, they have Trey, sure, and they have Murray, but like, their well, talent they, level is. No, is I agree, not, but they, they have two guys. Like, look, this yeah, is the NBA. Yeah, yeah. We know that top yeah. talent is presumably right. It's a good like, comparison. They have yeah. two. They have two all stars, and they, they have, have two guys that people before the season. John Collins, twenty million dollars or but, whatever, twenty five, right? But the, I think the biggest point is that like before the season, and I, I, you know, I think that uh, the consensus is that both Trey Young and Dejounte Murray are better players than either of the Knicks' two top guys. And I probably would have agreed with you on Julius. I don't know how. I don't know if I would have felt the same way about Brunson, but like. The point is, like, that was the consensus opinion. So, sure, um, sure. all right, like, I would say this, though. Here, like, let's, let me, just, I'm not even going to say this. Let me, let me, let me push back because, I'm well, not push back. Let me just be a devil's advocate for a second. What would you say to the people that would be like, well, one, you wanted Julius gone and Tibbs has gotten him to play better. So, 
doesn't need to deserve credit for that. And then two, um, like these guys are playing well. Who's to say that the way they're playing, that they would replicate that or be able to match that or exceed that under a different head coach? And what? So so why why can't we just appreciate that Tibbs does have us playing at? I checked it today. I mean, it's just, it's a it's a forty four forty five win pace they're on. Yeah, yeah. Why can't we just appreciate that? Because wouldn't you have said before the year that if we win forty four forty five games, it's a good year. That's probably we make the playoffs and. Okay, like and any and and the key part, and this is the key part, and he does deserve mm-hmm. credit for this, mm-hmm. is that they're doing it playing a bunch of fucking young guys, and like yeah, you know, you you listen to the six guys. Uh, we can talk about the Obi bit a little bit later, but look, he's played Obi. Obi would be the seventh guy. Deuce is the eighth guy, right? Yeah, and then and the however, yeah, and then the center. So it's like yeah, like he's playing a young rotation. The organization is committed to this young team. Also, um, all things considered, like doesn't he deserve credit for that stuff? And if so, like, why, why would we change that? So the way, and this is, this is my thing. It's like, because our team has a level of talent that isn't just like, wow, we're not awful. Like, I, like, I feel like we as fans are entitled to want more than just clearing the lowest of bars. Right. And I'll give you an example. Like, again, you look at all these teams that are in like the four or five, six seed ranges and have true stars recognized more than the Knicks stars or whatever. Like it's very common for people to be like, Oh, Doc Rivers does some very odd things with his rotation. And I wish he didn't do that. Like people aren't like, Oh, be grateful that your team is a top four seed. They're like, no, like, yeah, Doc Rivers should probably do so these you're, things. You're saying the expectations shouldn't lower the bar for how you're evaluating the coach that these decisions are either good or they're bad, regardless of talent level to a certain degree. I know that's like not that simple, but you get what uh, I'm saying. A little bit. I think because we're better, the expectations actually get higher, right? Like, and this is the whole thing with Tibbs is like, and this is what we've been saying for the start. And and this is why I don't think appreciating Tibbs for what he has done this year well and in the past couple of years, well, I don't think that precludes you from evaluating him and grading him harder because that's what you do when your team gets better. The bar gets higher and you expect more out of your coach, just like you expect more out of your players when you're better. That's the, the and, and that's my point with Doc Rivers as an example. It's like, just because every season people pick the Sixers as like possible you know, Eastern Conference finalist doesn't mean like it. It, does, it means a certain level of expectation exists for Doc Rivers, that which is why Sixers fans lament like all his fucking shenanigans that he does every year because finals appearances are potentially on the line for him, and obviously finals appearances are not on the line for the Knicks. But you have talent; you can win games. It's not just. It's not just win games versus the Spurs of the world. Like you can compete with other teams. Like Luke, they were playing the Mavs during like a Luca fucking Holy ghost mode without two of their top players and almost won the game. And like people focused on Luca as they should, because that was amazing. But like also the Knicks were in it against that version of Luca, despite a huge handicap. Like that's that went under the radar outside of, Knicks fans because everybody was, you know, rightfully looking at Lucas. So I I just think it's it's weird that people are acting like we should be grateful 
that we've gotten this much out of Tibbs when I'm like, no, this is a talent. This team has a certain level of talent. And once you have a certain level of talent, the bar is raised full stop. And this is, this is in line with what we've been saying about Tibbs for years, right? Like what's the most appealing, the, the best justification for Tibbs being hired in 2020. What was it? To build a foundation for a team that really was in a lot of ways lacking that for many years and to get us up to a certain level of competence that we didn't consistently have. Guess what? We've reached that this year. Like, last year was fucking weird. Don't get me wrong. The year before that was weird in a different way. But this year, it's, like, we're pretty good. Like, the players are two, three years older than they were when Tibbs came. Those same young kids who we played now could barely vote when Tibbs first came. Now, they have grown-ass men bodies. IQ now looks like a fucking bodybuilder, right? And he's, like, the frailest of all of these dudes somehow. Like. You're not coaching a bunch of kids who like these guys are on the they're young. Of being they're, they're young, but they're not. They're this isn't the Rockets. Is this point. is exactly this isn't the Rockets or the Magic. Like get the fuck out of my face. Like they're, they're kids, but you you're allowed to say like these kids are really good, and we have a lot of them. And then we have older kids like well, Brunson and Julius. Well, I mean, you look at the lineup we played against the Rockets. Um, I mean, night and day. Night I mean, and, day. But, and and like we're you know quickly as a third year player, Grimes a second year player. Deuce a second year player. And these guys did multiple yeah. years in college too. So like and, and, and Mitch, Mitch is like that. Yeah. And Mitch is like, okay, he's young, but he's like, yeah, but he's but like you're not talking about it's not like they were playing like we're like the you know, this grizzled squad of veterans and we were playing the new kids on the block. Like like they're both pretty young teams. Yeah. And we're just a way more competent. And that is a credit to Tibbs. Like, yes. like I've I've always said this. He's a good I think he's good at developing talent. Yes. I, yes. I have no issue with that at all. Um I guess what I would say, and I not that I, I'm just trying very hard not to, uh, you know, go down the path of. I mean, look, everybody knows how I feel about it. It's not a big secret, but like, like I will say, I think there's like if I'm not, and I'll, for the record, I'm not out here saying like fire tips. Like, would I like if you made me emperor of the NBA year? So yeah, like, would, yeah, so obviously. But like my, my point is like, yeah. if if like realistically speaking, I don't think there's any chance that the Knicks obviously fire Tibbs this season during the season. And I totally understand that. That's like, I'm not going to like, I'll have my criticism, but I'm not going to lose my shit over it. (laughs) It's the, it's the same thing with like the Julius Randall discussion of like, Oh, well, like this is the time to trade Julius. And I'm like, look, you can have that conversation all you want. You can think it's like there. I'm telling you, like, right? They're not trading him. They're they're not. It's not going to happen. They might trade him in the offseason. I don't know. They could they, that. I could see. I could see them trading Julius yeah. Robinson. I could I could see we go to the playoffs and we flame out again in five rounds and look totally outmatched, outcoached, whatever. And they're like, "Thanks, Tibbs. It's been real." I could see that, but they're not going to do it in season. And like, I t- and the point I've made in like the 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 argument for like why I don't really care about the Julius thing right now and why I probably wouldn't trade him unless the offer's just really strong is like the vibes are good and i don't know like i don't know i don't know how the shit i don't know how these things impact other like i don't know if julius is in the locker room like and everybody is lifting him on their shoulders and he's like the king of new york again and like i don't know but it seems like he's actively taken on a 
actual beneficial leadership in the role this year. Seems like he's more willing to own his fuck ups and things of that nature. Um, and I do think that goes a long way to building good vibes and building back some of the credit he might have lost internally at times last year. But like the point is like those vibes are good. And like I do think you want yes, we I think highly of like the young talent the Knicks have, but they are still at impressionable ages. Like I'm okay erring on the side of caution of like, well, better the devil you know than but sure, sure. Yeah, like I'm so I'm fine with like like if I'm applying that to Julius, I think it's fair to like apply that to Tibbs, where it's like, look, if I had my druthers, as they say, uh, <laughs> if I had my druthers, and if I just could do whatever I wanted to do without consideration of anything else in the world, like yeah, I'd just be like, fuck Tibbs, he's gone. Like cool, but that's not realistic. So if I'm considering all of this shit in totality, like I'm not just I just can't I can't have the conversation anymore because. How I feel is how I feel. And really, until I see Tibbs, like if we need to go to the playoffs and I need to see very specific things from Tibbs to make me really like change my tune entirely. Because like you can appreciate him being more flexible and being a better coach this year than he was last year while still saying, yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, yeah, right. We do. And while still saying like, well, he still has. Lots of low-hanging fruit that ninety percent of coaches take advantage of that he it, that he chooses not to, for reasons that are not particularly good. And on top of that, like we usually see these chickens come home to roost in the playoffs, right? And the ISO That's stuff is a perfect point. example of that. Like this this roster is significantly more dynamic than the roster we took to the playoffs two years ago um, on Julius's back with help from Reggie Bullock and friends. And that is an advantage going into a playoff series, obviously. Um, the depth is an advantage when we're healthy. Hopefully, praise God, hopefully we're healthy. But we know that, like, there. I'm very certain I'd put money up that, like, the reliance on ISO ball, particularly in the fourth quarters, the lack of strategic implementation of regular non-complex things like off-ball actions before isolations is going to put them at a significant handicap. I would I would even say it's a little bit... It's not even necessarily... Like, one of the things that's really weird about Tibbs, like, and this is, like, weird relative to NBA, the, the standard NBA coach, is, like, how how many sets a game he's calling out. And because of how many sets a game he's calling out... I think that makes it very hard to spread out usage among different guys because so many of those sets inherently you get into them with 14, 15 seconds left. So if whatever you're trying to do doesn't work out, now you were in a situation where you got to ISO, you're going to ISO your best guys. Like that's just how it works. So I think because of that, like there's just weird things with him that like are not the case with, and that's not like, look, there are, there are worse coaches in the NBA than tips. Like I think, you know, like like Billy Donovan's the worst coach in Tibbs. Does he maybe do some stuff better than Tibbs? Maybe. But, like, overall, I would not trade Billy Donovan. Like, I would not trade Tibbs for Billy Donovan. I think I think that's just a fact. Like, I just wouldn't do that. Um, and there are probably other coaches. I really sat down and, like, thought about it. There are, probably, there are definitely other coaches I would say that, say that about. But, like, there are things that are just specific to Tibbs. Like, there are, like, things that, like, so one of the things that's specific to Tibbs is if you buy in and execute his defense over the course of an NBA season and you have like guys that are capable of doing the things that he needs you to do, 
you're probably going to be a top 10 somewhere around their defense. Maybe better, maybe worse, but you're going to be right around there. But like within that top 10 defense, you're going to see shit that is a problem. Like you're going to see like there are certain guys who can take advantage of the fact that your weak side help scheme is so fucking like it's so aggressive. And a guy like Luca can kill you on that. A guy like Harden can kill you on that. A guy like LeBron can kill you on that because those are guys that can make that weak side pass for the corner three in their sleep. But like, particularly if you have like uh, another thing that like this is just an example, but like we're very dedicated to that defense. And how many times do the do we see other teams throw a zone against the Knicks? Not right. not the whole game, but for like a couple minutes, a lot. A lot, yeah. and like, yeah. and like, because every team fucking does that, whether they're young or old, that you have to throw in the modern NBA. You need to have the ability to, as a team, throw a changeup to just keep the other team on their feet. This isn't saying you have to throw eighteen crazy scheme squishes like Nick Nurse or some shit, but like, yeah, yeah, don't don't be Nick Nurse, please, don't, don't be Nick Nurse, Nurse. <laughs> yeah, don't be Nick Nurse, <laughs> but, um, but but like, yeah, we, like we don't do that. Yeah, well, like, like so the Sun, the Spurs game, we talked about this yesterday on the rundown. That was a perfect example of a game where it's like, oh, this is, um, you know, this would be a, this is a perfect opponent to just randomly break out a zone for a couple minutes. They can't shoot. They cannot shoot. Like, like you've seen Trey Jones, like he just desperately is trying not to be forced to take a three. Like desperately, you know, doing anything he can to not take a three. This is a team that you should throw that out there for a few minutes, but you don't see that. And like, like I do think he's made some adjustments. But I don't think like the improved defense really is much beyond there. We're just playing the guys that executed a lot better, and that's that. Like I really don't think it's a significant schematic shift. He is letting Julius switch a little bit more, which is nice. That's a big one. But aside from that, I don't see a lot that they're doing that I'm like, oh well, that's really. The only strong. other thing that jumps out is like he's making Julius switch more. Before RJ got hurt, he was letting uh, Julius and RJ switch more, and then. Sometimes he's letting uh, the weak side guy um, roam a little bit more. Yeah, he's not. I, I don't know if that's a. See, I actually wonder if that's a schematic thing or if that's because the guy that's been doing it's that mostly Jalen. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. Jalen's just like doing that. Like, I don't think that's a. It could be. For yeah, sure. I think, I think he's just doing that. And what's he going to do? Bench Jalen? Like, no. Gonna, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, he's not going to. So um, I think that's just Jalen being a smart basketball player and like playing, okay, this is the scheme. But I'm not gonna play to that all the time. I'm gonna like be a little bit more flexible within it. Um, but like the point, the point is just I don't think that the defensive improvement has much to do beyond Tibbs really just settling on okay, we're gonna play these kids more. And guess what? Turns out if you play quickly more, if you play Grimes, Grimes is starting. If Mitch is healthy, like turns out that those three guys pretty much they can get you to about a pretty good defense. They can do it, like, because that's really all you need is like three. And just because they can do that, and this is the thing, just because they can do that because of their gifts, doesn't mean this is the optimal way to deploy them. That's the fucking thing that people well, complain to me that annoys anything, me. Yeah, I mean, if if anything, it's like these guys are doing this already. What else can they do? And it's like, like maybe the answer is maybe the answer truly is they are just built to play this scheme, and the offensive roles that we have that Tibbs has designed are just actually the best roles possible for these guys. All I, and you know, the thing is like Tibbs has talked about this stuff is he basically won't do things in game unless he feels he's seen it in practice and whatever. 
training camp. Like he won't, he won't just try stuff in games. And so like, I think it's safe to assume then that like he doesn't feel that he has seen enough from these guys to do different things. But like, like I don't, I don't, I don't know how, how to feel about that because I think that's just like weird because we know that practice time, the NBA is limited. And like, once you get out of training camp, there's not a lot of practice time. So you're just not going to get a chance to like, like is a Quentin Grimes to me looks like a better player than he did at the end of last year. And he looks like a better player. Like, I think you see growth from him, especially offensively, almost every game. Like, every game you see something from him that is like, oh, wow, that's that's a little new. That's a little wrinkle. I didn't know he did that. I didn't know he could do that. Um, and it's like, that's... So, like, I feel like I'm watching a guy who's actually developing in front of me and, like, incrementally becoming a better player. So it's like, when that's happening, shouldn't you maybe consider, like, seeing if he can do another thing? Um, and that's that's always, you know, like, uh, my my feeling is like you can afford to try a couple possessions out on either end of the floor each game. Um, now, might that cost you a game here or there? Maybe. Might win you a game here or there, too. You don't know until you try it. It's like it's like the Randall Obi thing, right? Like, does it work all the time again in every situation when you've done it? No. But we've also seen it. It does work in certain situations, on certain nights, in certain matchups. Like, we won that Philly game earlier this year, which looked like it was going to be one of the most annoying, frustrating losses. Those guys turned that, – that Randall OB lineup killed it, and that turned the game for us. So, like, this, the thing with this stuff is you never know until you do it. And even when you do it, you don't – like, even if it works one time, that doesn't mean it's going to work every time. The point is to, like, find out when these things can't work. So, you know, maybe zone works certain times, and it won't work other times, but, like – until you do it, you're not going to know. And it's like, it's not just zone, right? It's like, like, you know, we can talk about the centers. Like, so I don't know that having Jericho Sims switch when he plays center is going to materially improve the defensive performance of the units that he's the nominal center for. I don't mm -hmm. know that. Mm -hmm. But I suspect that it would because he's not good at drop. And so, like, when you're asking, like, you can, so there's, that's not to say that you don't want him playing drop at all, because... Listen, yeah, like, the, the most switchy that, centers in the league still play lots of job. Right, like... He Nobody switches 50% of the time. I think the Bucks and the... No, Bam switches more than any other centers, and I, I forget who wrote about it and pulled it from Second Spectrum or one of those crazy services, and I think he switches on, like, a third. So 66% of the time, Bam... The most switchy switching center who's an actual center still doesn't switch. So, like, when we say, please let Sim switch more, we're not like, switch everything all the time for the whole game. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just, so it's like, that's really all it is. It's like, I actually, you know, I'd say this, like, I was at like the fire tips for sure point, like, mid, like, even after that OKC game, there were multiple games here, I was like, this guy's got to go. I'm not at that point now. And now I'm like, I'm like, I kind of still want you to fire, be fired. But like, I also think you're like, like you're that close. Like you're that close to just being good. And like, I wouldn't want you fired. And I don't think the things we're asking of him are like, again, I just don't think they're that significant. Like, I, I really think he could do it. It's almost like, will he come to that realization? He has been more flexible in a lot of ways than, than he ever has before. And like, 
you know, whatever we say about the specific nature of like how we're getting to shots, which is a process, like there's two ends of process, right? Like the actual mechanism that you're using and then the desired output. The desired output is actually pretty good. Like, like we're getting our shot quality is good. Like, and our shot distribution is good. Getting a lot of shots at the rim, getting a lot of threes. We're not taking a bunch of mid range shots. We get to the line a bunch. That stuff is good. All I'm talking about is the process of how it happens. Like, how are you actually deriving those threes? How are you deriving those shots at the rim? How are you deriving? Like, those are the variables where I, I think Tibbs could grow a little bit more. And if he did that, he would grow into being an even better coach than he is. And, like, I don't, like, can he do that? Will he do that? I have no clue. My, my, my gut instinct is he won't because I still think offensively he, he just calls so many plays. There's no willingness to just let a game flow sometimes. And, like, that's what you need. And um, I think that, like, helps dudes get into a rhythm. Like, I think that helps your your complementary, supporting, ancillary, whatever phrase you want to use to describe them. It helps your supporting cast more than it helps your main dudes. Um, but, like, again, it's he's close. He's close. He's closer than he's been for sure. He's, look, I, he's definitely closer than he fucking was last year. I'll tell you that. I mean, last year was miserable. But, like, this year, not miserable. This year, I'm just like... Tweak a few more things. That's it. Let's do that. But, um, okay, we've talked about Tibbs for long enough. Uh, I know you had some stuff that you wanted to talk about with centers. And, uh, so I'll, I'll let you go. Yeah, I mean, we touched on it when, when we were talking about um, Sims being bad in drop. And I, I wanted to have a video out before this pod, but I am bad at technology and a boomer, apparently, and having some trouble developing that. So uh, unsurprising to Schwinn, but. Uh, stay tuned. I will get that oh, out. But I, I just, I did want to bring this up. Yeah. So, like, we talked about, uh, just real quick, last mm-hmm. thing on tips. We mentioned, like, okay, regular season is obviously very, very different from the playoffs, right? So, his 2017-18 Minnesota team, they were fourth in the NBA in offensive rating. They had a 113.4 offensive rating. When they got to the playoffs, they put the Houston Rockets. Houston was the sixth best defense that year. Okay, but you had Butler. You had Cat, you had Wiggins, not the Wiggins that he is today, but still Wiggins, like a guy that can create shots. Their offensive rating in that series was 107.6. Uh, they scored 104, 102, sorry, 101, 82, 121, 100, 104. The point I'm making isn't that he should have, you know, that I, I, you have to go back and watch these games, but it's like you can have a really good regular season offense. And that might not translate to the nature of playoff basketball. So, like, when we're talking about this offense is good, but it could be better, it's not It's not because I, like, think that the minor things that you're able to, that you would add fundamentally change the entire, like, output of your offense to an even higher degree. No, but I think they give you variety and variation, which you need, and which is very useful in the playoffs, which ultimately is the goal. That is where you're trying to get. And I don't think you're going to cost yourself. Like, you're not going to miss the playoffs because you tried a few couple of things. Like, you're, you're not. So that's just, that's that's all. That's the last thing I want to say. That's my only point. And that is, I think, actually, I think that's probably the one of the, the two main fundamental uh, disagreements between people that think, like, 
Tibbs is fine, but we could move on. Like, we're not going to, you're not, he's not the guy. Versus the people that are like, how could you move on? Like, this team is playing above expectations. I think that's like at the core of uh, probably one of the main disagreements. And the last thing I'll say about that um, before talking about centers is I think people mistake the perspective of this front office in a lot of mistakes. They're risk averse. And I think they also apply the fandom attitude of like, wow, we should be grateful for what we have because look at it compared to the horrible things we've had before. And we like, be grateful for what we have, but then also like, we should, you know, stop overrating our kids. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and, but like, I promise you, if you go talk to Leon Rose and um, like, they're risk averse in a lot of ways, like many, like any GM or whatever. But like, they're they're not sitting on their laurels. They're they're trying to really kick ass. And sometimes, do their decisions seem to fly in the face of that? Sure. Like, you know, they're gonna have different evaluations of players, coaches, situations, and things like that. But there will be situations where they figure this is this is the way we get an impact player in the draft. This is the way we make a trade without sacrificing our future. Like there, there's going to be a point where they decide, you know, I don't know if it's going to be this year. I don't know when it's going to be, but like Tibbs, I promise you Tibbs is not here for an eternity. Like they hired Tibbs because he was the foundation. Look at the other guys they interviewed in that process. Johnny Bryant, Will Hardy, Udoka, um, uh, Mike Brown, um, I, I just listed this to uh, somebody on Twitter. Like, o- like almost all of the coaches, um, put Udoka aside because he, he shouldn't be in the league again, but, like, put, like, all the other coaches they interviewed are killing it, killing it. Oh, a couple Hardy. of them are, st- oh, yeah, Hardy. A couple of them are still assistants, but, like, Mike Brown, killing it. Mix of kids and vets. Roughly the same age as the Knicks. Like, shout, shout out Mike Brown, who people, I don't know why, people always ragged on him for, being really good with LeBron James, which apparently is a crime. Yeah, I know, right? God, what a talent, like, loser. <laughs> um, you know, Mike Brown and Will Hardy, and uh, and then you look at, uh, you know, there's it's just the, the talent level around the league is really high, and our own coaching search reflected that, and Tibbs was, was, was good for, for where we were, and that's not going to be where we are in the future. Like, it, it's not a crime against humanity. It's not a crime for a front office to say, we want great, not good. And some people may say, oh, well, Perez, like, wouldn't that mean they should have traded for Donovan Mitchell? Because, you know, Quentin Grimes is good, but Donovan Mitchell is great and scored 71. Like, yeah, but the whole point was there. It wasn't about their evaluation of Donovan Mitchell. It's there. It was their evaluation of, all right, how can we get our team to be great with Donovan Mitchell, who is great? And they give they, up all of this stuff. Exactly. I promise you it had I promise you they love Donovan Mitchell and think he's really fucking good, but they didn't want to have Donovan Mitchell and his greatness and squander that. That's pretty much what it came down to. Like we can we can we can have real honest debates about like Donnie is improving and he, if he maintains how he's playing this season, he's better than a lot of us thought he is. But guess what? Like they have the same offensive rating as the Knicks. So like that's you know, like, again, like, people conflate individual greatness with team greatness. And Leon Rose is brought here to make the team great. Not to get cool counting stats for you to fucking flame out in the first or second round. So, like, you got to take a step back and realize that even though they're going to stick by Tibbs, 
or Leon is because their boy is like, as a whole, I'm telling you this front office is probably thinking eventually about like, they're not just happy to be here. They're not just happy to have the fucking six seed. This isn't one of those teams where they're just content selling, you know, a round of playoff tickets every year for 10 years or whatever. Like, you don't have to put your insecurities onto well, the front office. That's like all I like. I see a lot of that shit, and it's really weird. Like, well, be, like I don't know how people are. This is the last thing I'll say. Like, people got different attitudes towards their own professional work. Like in my job, I try to be fucking great, and God forbid some of the Knicks try to do that shit too. God forbid IQ want to be fucking great instead of just a good three and D backup you know, guard microwave or whatever. God forbid, you know, us think about, wow, how can we get Tibbs, who's a fine coach and not the worst NBA, to be great? Like all the other new coaches who were hired, almost without fail, except for like Steven Silas. Literally every other new coach who's hired, who's like under 50 years old, is pretty much killing it. Even the guys with their shittiest teams, like Jacques Vaughn, they're killing, they're, they're not shitty because their coaches suck. Their coaches are great. And they have no fucking bench, which is on purpose because they're trying to tank. Like, the guy whose name I can't pronounce in Oklahoma City, great with his talent. Daniel. Overwhelmingly. Yeah. Wait, how do you say it? Daniel. 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 Like, literally, Daniel. like, almost. It, it's You're not playing, like, I mean, I, I guess you could consider it a form of Russian roulette if, like, one out of every seven coaches is horrendous or something. But, like, given the coaching search we had, I, I, I just don't. I'm not going to apologize for holding Tibbs to a higher standard than just like, oh, not the worst. And yeah, oh, I mean, we're doing good with not the worst. <laughs> well, I just think it's like, like, yeah, there's a risk that he, the guy you pick ends up being terrible. I mean, the Pacers did that, right? They, they fired Nate McMillan, who was good. Yeah. But he had like, but Nate McMillan is a lot like Tibbs. He's got, he's good at a very, like very specific things. And generally speaking, there's a limit to that. Right there's some there's a ceiling. Who they hire again? Who it, this shit went yeah. south? Um, no, so then, then they hired the guy from fucking. Uh, I think it was Toronto. I forget his name. Whatever it was, uh, he was terrible. He's terrible. Also, 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 their process was shit. Remember that? Yeah, they the guy they knew each other before. Whatever the point is, like, well, they like, hired you can know guy. each other, but like, if you look at their if their shit was like not like our shit, where like oh. Our coach was fine, and all the other coaches were also pretty good as well. Like, they clearly were like, all right, this is the guy we want. We're going to bet our chips on him, and the shit blew up in their fucking face. Yeah, and, and the point is ultimately, like, they made a bad hire. Um, right. It sucked for a year. And then they hired Rick Carlisle, and Rick Carlisle sucked for a year, but Rick Carlisle's a great coach, and guess what? They made a few moves, and now it yeah. looks like they're <laughs> headed in the right direction. But, like, the We're not going like, to be like set back to the Isaiah Thomas era just because yeah, you're, yeah, you're not, the worst you're not, case scenario happened. <laughs> the worst case scenario happens, you can fire that. You fire that guy in a year. Like I don't think if the Knicks are still in a situation where they've employed a coach for three years and they fire him, and everybody is like, "Oh my God, same old Knicks." Like that's pretty weird to me because coaches get fired pretty constantly in the NBA. Like Lawrence Frank won a championship and got fired two years later. You know, uh, this is a league that there's not a lot of patience. There's not a lot of time. And yeah, people act always, like the norm is like, oh, coaches stay put for seven years. Like, that's not right. how it and, works. <laughs> and and the pressure isn't just on the coach. Like, front offices are under pressure. Executives are under pressure. So right. 
it's not just about like, well, we like Tibbs and he's a good doing fine. This isn't the no. fucking Yankees. You don't expect your coach and exec to be there for like till you fucking have grandchildren. <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna happen. So anyway, uh, all right. Before we continue, uh, the NBA season is heating up, and there's still so many exciting possibilities. But I'm looking to get in on the action. I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You customers can bet just $5 pre-game money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the app now, sign up with code TBPN, place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Uh, all right, so do you want to talk about the centers? You can go for it. Yeah, uh, Jericho Sims, shout out to Jericho. Um I thought he had a rough defensive game, but in the last couple of minutes, like the rest of the team, he um, put together a pretty great stretch. Um, he had a he had a foul, but that was like debatable. I, I didn't think it, it was, was not a foul. foul. Yeah, I didn't think, I didn't think it was a foul, and and that was probably his worst. It's so weird. It wasn't a foul, but like this motherfucker has no emotion. He like just did, <laughs> he like didn't react. I'm like, dude, ever. Yeah, like that, like that was not a foul. How was your reaction? Just like, bro, he had the same face in the club. Remember, <laughs> it was crazy. Like he, it's like crunch time. That it was like a play. I think where we were up four, and so you get a stop there. You get the ball effectively with a chance to go up six with like a minute left. And I'm like, I'm like, how is that your reaction, dude? Like, what the hell? <laughs> He's like one of these like stoic Game of Thrones characters or something he just he just goes about his work and you know he has the same it it is yeah that shit is crazy it doesn't matter if he's a dunk clutch play on defense horrible play foul untimely whatever he's just he's just stone-faced but no uh i don't know i i just feel like it's i i shouldn't say it's weird because i understand why people prefer sims to hartenstein um me and you have talked about it a lot um hartenstein's glaring glaring detrimental flaws are very very obvious um to anybody with any eyesight at all um who watches the knicks he rebounds like a small child and uh generally is very unphysical most of the time even when he's cooking um, and his rim protection, effective though it is, is the doofiest looking thing ever. I, I for fun, I, I'm preparing this video on, um, it's mostly on Sims, but Hart features in it a little bit. And like, like every, it's so funny, every example of him altering a shot at the rim, of Hart altering a shot at the rim in individually, individually, it's like, did he alter that? Or did they just miss? Because like every player misses sometimes. And then it just because it doesn't look like he really impacts it, but then you just see it enough, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's kind of like this big, doofy dude who's sort of in the way with kind of long arms, not Mitch long, but like kind of long arms and uh, whatever. He's just kind of around at the right time. Um, he's a timing guy. Sims, like, he's a great rebounder. Obviously, his his impact plays, his blocks and his dunks fly off the screen. This motherfucker's shoulders be at the rim regularly. I just get it's 
I worry. I worry because there are lots of times when he plays good defense, like technically speaking, and it's just not enough. Even when he does the right thing and he's in the right place, because unless he's full extension jumping, he's just not an obstacle at the rim. He, uh, you know, his standing reaches eight ten, and no center is completely straight up during the game unless they're like. Walker Kessler, who's like has the best verticality I've seen of any young prospect in a in a while, um, but he, he has the he has the the dimensions jackness aside of a power forward. So if he's not jumping, which you know maybe it's a post up, maybe it's him in drop, maybe but like worrying about the ball handler as well. Like he's just not an impact player. And then you add on top of that, um, like a lot of centers with less experience. He's still learning the arts of pick and roll defense and like how to corral the ball handler, when to kind of stunt at the ball handler or stunt at the roller. And a lot of the times he really commits way too early unnecessarily to one or the other and leaves an alley-oop or a, or a pass available because of it. Um, it's a little bit weird because he, he's not even playing center half the time these days. And on any given possession on offense and defense, him and Hart um, – you know, sometimes Hart might be in the corner. Sometimes Sims might be in the corner, ready to crash on offense. On defense, sometimes um, you know Hart might be the one on Pirtle. Sometimes Sims is the one on on Pirtle. Or um, what's the other white guy? Uh, Zach uh, Collins. Zach Collins. Um, Tread, we should trade for Zach Collins. Apparently, that guy is fucking great. I'm just happy he's healthy, man. I I, I, I didn't even know he was on the Spurs because I just assumed he was out of the league for health issues. Because this guy just couldn't like. On draft yeah. Twitter, back when he he was like, I love him. Prom- yeah, he was very promising. He was very promising. Um, so yeah, good he's for you. A, he's, having a, he's having a fifty-six, thirty-eight point six from three season so far. I was impressed. I'm not gonna lie. The bar was low because I didn't know he existed still, but I was impressed. Not bad. Uh, I mean, he's got he's got like over those last two seasons with San Antonio. He's he at, also is a lot uh, more jacked than I remember him, which makes sense because it's been a couple of years since I checked for him. <laughs> he's uh last two years he is hold on. Uh this is in like a thousand fifty-seven minutes, fifty-three percent from the field, thirty-six and a half from three, seventy-five from the line. Um yeah, he looked he looked good. He looked good both games we played him. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.